Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to Judges. Judges chapter 2. And I'm reading from verse 11. Judges chapter 2 and reading from verse 11. The Bible says... Let's go from verse 10. Verse 10. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherahs, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Verse 15. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. You never want the hand of the Lord to be against you. (laughs) Just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. Go over to chapter 3, which is the next page over. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. This is only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines or the Canaanites, Sidonians and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal, Hermon to Lebo, Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in the house of God this morning. Father, we're grateful to you for who you are and what you've done in and through our lives. We just pray this morning that you would speak to us. We recognize it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And by your spirit, would you speak? Let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Father, just let there be freedom to speak and to receive your word today. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So we're in a two-part series entitled Generational Gospel. Uh, Last week was the first part. This is just the second part. And we're looking at the whole subject of passing the baton on to the next generation, passing our faith to the next generation. All throughout the Bible, we see God as a generational God. The Bible tells us that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul reminds Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. As Paul was looking at Timothy, he said, listen, just there's, there's a sincere faith in you that first lived in your grandmother Lois, And then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. That the sincere faith that was in Timothy was passed on from grandma to mum and now lived in him. Every generation has a responsibility to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. 
Speaking of that responsibility, Asaph says, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. The, the greatest message we can ever preach is our testimony. The greatest message we can ever preach is, is what God has done in our lives and what we have experienced. It's the greatest message that we can transmit to the next generation. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. And as a result of that, Psalm 78 verse 7 says, then they would put their trust in God. Who's, who's they? The next generation will trust God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. What Asaph is saying in this particular passage of scripture is that every generation needs to speak about what God has done. Come on, church. Every generation needs to tell what God has done in their lives to teach the principles of faith. No, that's not how we behave. This is how we behave. And the reason why we behave like this is not because Pastor Joe says or because Life Christian Center says, it's because the Word of God says. We have a responsibility to pass on the principles, the baton of faith to the next generation. And if we do that effectively, the next generation will not become rebellious and unfaithful to God. Now, I thank God that in this church, Despite all the challenges and despite all the hardships, our church fathers and mothers have been effective in passing the baton of faith. Can I, that's why we're here. Come on, can I hear an amen? You know, with all of their complexities and all of their, you know, lack of education, grade one, no John Maxwell. How did they do it without John Maxwell uh, or leadership books or anything like that? They somehow managed, read the Word of God, read the kind of passages that we're reading and they said, we're going to pass the baton of faith and they did it successfully. I'm not always sure our generation is doing it as well as they did. I think I think we're doing our part, but we can always do better. But I can tell you one thing. We are here today because that generation passed it on to the next generation who passed it on to the next generation. And now the baton of faith is in our hands. And the big question for you and me is, are we going to pass it on to the next generation? Amen. And the question then comes, well, how do we make sure we do it? How do we make sure that we don't drop the baton? that we do pass it on to the next generation. Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at the experience of the people of Israel. Moses passed the baton of faith on to Joshua, but Joshua did not effectively pass on the baton to the next generation. And there's a saying that says, there's one thing that we learn from history, and that is, we don't learn anything from history. It's a, oh, that's a pretty good saying, come on. Uh, there's one thing we learn from history, and that is we don't learn anything from history. And today we're going to see what we learn from the generation that followed Joshua. Moses' generation served the Lord. Joshua's generation entered in the promise that God had given the people of Israel. But they followed another generation who didn't have the, those same experiences. And that's the generation we want to learn from today. Two things I want to do today. First thing I want to look at is the pattern uh, the people of Israel fell into after the death of Joshua. Kind of pattern we can easily fall into. And second thing we're going to do is look at two lessons every generation must learn. 
Two lessons every single generation must learn for themselves. And I pray that God will speak to us all here today. Book of Judges follows the book of Joshua. And Israel has entered the promised land. They are enjoying the fulfillment of the promise that God gave them. You will remember the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and and God gives them a promise, appears to Moses, says, I want you to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. They went through some circle, 40 years of running around in circles and and then Joshua uh, then led the people of Israel into the promised land where they inherited the land that God had promised it to them. Book of Joshua finishes with these words. You know that with all your heart and soul, that not one of the good promises the Lord your God has given you has failed. God is not only a promise maker, He's a promise keeper. Come on, church. He's not only a promise maker, but He's the God who fulfills the promises that He gives. And if He's given you a promise, that promise shall come to pass by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not some promises, every promise, not one has failed. Then we enter into the book of Judges and now Joshua has died. And the Bible says, sad verse, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what, had, nor what God had done for Israel. Israel now is led by judges, not judges like in a court, but they're more like deliverers or leaders. Bible says um, that there were 13 of them. And as you read the book of Judges, you'll come to know these 13 judges, deliverers or leaders. People like Gideon, um, Samson, and there's even Deborah in there who led the people of Israel at a particular time. Every time Israel was in trouble, God would raise up a judge and the judge would deliver the people of Israel. So what do we learn from the generation that followed Joshua. What do we learn from that generation? Well, the first thing that we notice is this cycle of sin, uh, which has specific stages in it. What what, what we notice after after the generation of of Joshua, we notice that Israel entered into this cycle of sin uh, that has some specific stages or even phases. And see if this looks familiar to anyone. The first phase of the sin cycle is rebellion towards God. The Bible says after Joshua died, a generation grew up who didn't know God. Verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. It's incredible to think the God that had delivered them out of Egypt, incredibly, plagues, miracles, made a way through the Red Sea. Listen carefully, within a couple of generations, they're bowing down to an idol of Baal. Please never, never, never uh, take for granted the passing on of the baton of faith. Because every time we, we pass on that baton, there is the possibility the next generation is gonna take for granted what previous generations understood as the miracles of God. And so it becomes harder and harder to pass on the baton of faith unless the next generation has their own experience with God. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baal. They forsook the Lord, the God of the ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. Notice the generation grew up. Didn't know God nor the miracles he had done. The consequence was they began to drift away from God. 
Why is it so important for every generation to have their own encounter with God? Because if they don't, they will begin to drift away from God. And church, that can happen to any of us. We need to understand that faith leaks. Just because you, 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 you filled the bucket with faith, oh, I've done my job. No, faith leaks. And therefore, we need to be intentional about building our faith, staying close to God, worshipping God. Pastor Joe had an experience with God in 1942. Great. That was great. What happened this week? You know, when was the last time you had an encounter with God? When was the last time you had an experience? Faith leaks. Doesn't matter what experiences you've had in the past. If you don't, if you don't continue to be intentional about developing your faith with God, you're, you're going to end up losing your faith. We need to be intentional about building our faith. Study, staying close to God, worshipping God. Listen to what Hebrews says, chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Because it's so easy to drift away. No one drifts away all of a sudden. You don't just wake up one, one morning and, 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 and get to a place where you've, you've turned away from God. It doesn't happen like that. You know, you know, the enemy is very patient. We are not patient, but the enemy is patient. And what he, just, what he does is he just says... Listen, it's Sunday morning. It's beautiful out there. Come on, let's, we'll watch it online. No, let's not to the people online. You guys are amazing. We love you. You know, I, don't, I just... I, I just went, stop. You know, they're going, you know, it's just, we're going to have breakfast at home. Let's watch it online, you know. And, 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 and you know, it, that's how it begins. We love you guys online. Sorry, sorry. I just love for bad now. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, and you, 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 just, you start skipping church once. It's just one in four. Is really, really, Pastor Joe, is there anything wrong? No, nothing wrong with that at all. But if you skip one, it's easier to skip two. And within 12 months, it's not the occasional one. It's every it's one in every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And suddenly then I'm not reading my Bible as much and then I'm finding shortcuts to do my devotions. And, and within a year, two or three, we have completely slipped away from God. And suddenly we're compromising our faith. Suddenly we're doing things we would never have done five years ago, 10 years ago. We're doing things our, our previous generations would never have dreamed of doing. This generation came out of all of this. Within another generation, we're starting to go back and do the same things. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You don't fall away. You're more likely to drift away. Second phase of the sin cycle is experiencing the consequences of sin. The Bible says in verse 13, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherahs, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around him who they no longer were able to resist. It's not like God was angry because they joined the competition. Oh, they've rejected me. They've gone with someone else. No, that's not God at all. He was angry because after all he had done for them, they turned their back on him. To follow gods. <laughs> These gods were made out of wood for goodness sake and had no power whatsoever. And God said, well, 
you know what, if this is what you want, well, I'm just going to honor your choice. God said, this is what you want? Yep, it's what we want. He's just going to honor, honor them. The Bible says, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And then there's this verse, they were in great distress. Sin is pleasurable for a time, but in due season, it will lead to great distress. So often people think that God is his killjoy. Oh, you know, doesn't want us to be happy. And that, could, could not be, that idea could not be further from the truth. He just wants to give us the real deal, not some counterfeit. Jesus said, I've come to give, to give life and life in abundance. It's the kind of, that's the kind of joy that God wants us. That's the kind of joy that God wants you and, you and me to experience. It's life and life in abundance. Don't follow after the, the counterfeits. God said to the people of Israel, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Man, you can just feel the heart of God saying, just, I just wish, I just pray that they would listen to me. If they, if they had a heart that would, was inclined to fear me, that's not be scared of God. It's actually respect who God is and, and what he says and keep my commands, keep these principles so that it might go well with them and the children. So the people of Israel are distressed and they begin to cry out to God. And this leads to the third phase, the phase of repentance. Verse 18 says, The Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. So God would see their distress. And, and he, you know, it's amazing. God is an amazing God. God is an amazing God. And, you know, God said, okay, that's what you want. That's what I'm, I'm going to give you. They begin to the experience the, the, the distress or the, the pain of living there. And it's like God gets to a certain point and he, can't, he cannot watch his own people be in so much pain. And so he's got to intervene. And so verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. People are in this distress would cry out to God who'd raise up a judge to deliver them. Please understand this. God is always the God of grace and the God of mercy. He always responds to a repentant heart. Please understand that. God does not judge us according to our sins. What he does respond to is a repentant heart. Irrespective of what we have done and where we have been, he always responds to a repentant heart. Micah says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his head? Who is a God like you? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Amen. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. It's the promise of God. Come on, can I hear an amen? Aren't you glad that's the kind of God that we serve? Who else is like you, O oh God, that treats his people with such compassion and mercy and grace? No matter where we've been, what we've done, please understand that. God always responds to a repentant heart. It's not the sin. It's what you do with it. It's not the mistakes. It's what you do with the mistakes. Greatest thing that we can do is confess it to the Lord. 
The Bible says that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Phase four, the, which is the next phase of the restoration, is the phase of restoration, sorry, where God delivers them. Verse 18, whoever the Lord raised up as a judge, for them he was the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. So God delivers the people of Israel and they start to follow God. They enjoy the blessings of the favour of God. They go to church, they read their Bible, they tithe, they join a life group, start serving. Things are going great. But pretty soon they forget God again. Pretty soon, little bit by little bit, they start drifting away from God. And one of the great dangers of experiencing the blessing of God is we forget. We forget, uh, we forget God. We start to attribute the blessings of God to ourselves. We take the presence of God for granted. We think God is not that bad. We start dabbling with sin a little bit and, you know, the consequence is not that great. And so we think, well, you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And then slowly and gradually we start to drift away from God. Verse 17, yet they would not listen to their judges but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Listen carefully. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who'd been obedient to the Lord's command. This is in, in the Bible. And it's there to remind us, to warn us about what can happen to us. Book of Judges is a, a description of Israel going round and round in circles. And we need to understand that what happened to them can happen to us. You continue to read the Old Testament and you'll see that cycle repeated again and again. You'll see it repeated again. Israel gets closer to God and then, and then something bad happens and they come back to God. And, and you'll see this cycle repeated again. You study history and you will see that cycle repeated again and again. And not only is it repeated generationally, but it can be repeated in our lives as individuals. Many of us are trapped in a cycle of sin. You know, we sin, we fall, we do something we regret, we feel terrible. We repent. Lord, it won't happen again. Things go well for a while. We get overconfident. We let our guard down. Get to go to the wrong places, mix with the wrong people. We think we're stronger than we really are. I haven't done it for a long time now. I think I should be fine. And pretty soon we drift off into sin. And the whole cycle begins again. The cycle of sin. It's true of a generation. It's true of a people. It's true of a church. And it's true of us as individuals. It can happen to all of us. Big question is, how do we break the cycle? How can we make sure that we don't become victims of the sin cycle individually or corporately? How do we break this cycle so that it doesn't happen to us? Well, there are two lessons every generation needs to learn. Two really important lessons every generation needs to learn. Let's go back to chapter 3 text. I was doing, doing this reading through my devotions. I've come across this and it just really spoke to me. It's kind of the platform for this message. And it says, These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had no experience, who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not, been, who had, not had previous battle experience. 
They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. How can we make sure every generation builds on the legacy left by previous generations? How do we make sure that instead of going backwards, instead of drifting away, we actually build and go to the next level of faith and the next level of glory. Rather than drift away from the things of God, we actually build on the things of God and take it to another level. How do we make sure that that happens? Well, the first thing each generation needs to learn is spiritual warfare. Notice what the Bible says. And it, and it kind of struck me. God says, go in, you're going you're gonna, to you're take over the land. And the Bible says that God left some of these Canaanites and some of these other things. What, for what purpose? One purpose, to teach them warfare principles. Generations who had no previous battle experience. Each generation needs to learn how to do battle with the enemy. Come on, church. Every generation needs to learn how to do battle with the enemy, how true that is. We may not see the potential in our lives, but the enemy does. The enemy sees the potential of one generation building on the next generation. And he's going to do everything he can to break that. And he will come against us in so many different ways. He has some very basic weapons in, in his arsenal. They're pretty basic but he uses them consistently, has been using those same weapons consistently for many years. Weapons like fear, anxiety, loneliness, depression. We talked about some of this last week, condemnation, accusations, temptations, wounds, hurts, offence. Offence is a trap that the enemy uses to stop us walking with God. He'll get someone to get under your skin. And it's an offense, the actual word offense in the Greek is a trap. It's a trap of the enemy to stop you from moving on. And anybody being hurt, listen, here's the reality. All of us will be hurt in life. Come on, church. And if you haven't been hurt yet, stay tuned. It's coming. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? We're all going to offend. We're all going to get hurt. We're all going to get wounded. Trust me, you're going to wound a few people along the way yourself. No, not me. Well, you're deceived. <laughs> These are basic strategies of the enemy to stop us from serving God. And he even has some really special strategies for Christians that are trying really hard to serve God. They're in church every Sunday. He says, he says things like, well, God isn't happy with you. Well, you're thinking bad thoughts again. Oh, God doesn't like you. Do you think God could use you? Really? Do you honestly think God could, after all the things that you've done, you honestly think that God can use you? Well, you're not reading your Bible enough. Look at this week. You only just did, you only read your Bible twice. That's not good enough. Oh, you come to church and you look all spiritual. You're not spiritual. You haven't read your Bible enough. If you pray for 10 minutes, you'll say, no, oh, is that all 10 minutes? God isn't happy with 10 minutes. He wants at least 15. You know, and the enemy comes against us. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Paul says to the Ephesians, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We need to understand that we're involved in a battle and that battle is with the enemy and the battle is real and it's relentless. Come on, church. The Bible says, for we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. The reality is many of us are ignorant of the enemy's schemes and we continuously fall into the traps that he sets. 
Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his wiles, his strategies, whatever he has to come against you. Every generation needs to learn warfare principles. We are in a battle. The day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you entered into to Christendom as a soldier. You know, it's, 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 it, 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 and, and we're involved in a warfare. It's a spiritual battle and it is relentless. Good news is that, as John says, the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Come on, church. We're involved in a battle, but it's not a losing battle. Paul says to the Thessalonians, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Come on, the Lord is faithful. He's a faithful God and he will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. To the Corinthians, uh, Paul says, be on your guard and stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. Every generation needs to learn how to stand against the work of the enemy. Come on, church. Every generation needs to understand that there's an enemy who's out to, out to do you in. There's an enemy that's out to break you. There's an enemy that's out to limit your potential in God. And by the grace of God and for the glory of God, we're going to overcome every work of the enemy in Jesus' name. And talk a little bit about this next week. But, but you know, one of the things about warfare, one of the things about battles, whatever the battle looks like, whatever the, whatever the weapon the enemy is in, listen really carefully, because you cannot fight by yourself. Or you can give it a shot. You can try and fight the enemy on your own, but you will fail miserably. And the idea of the warfare is to bring us into the presence of God so that we can trust God and, 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 and allow God to give us the grace and the strength to overcome the enemy in the name of Jesus. Every generation needs to learn warfare principles. You're involved in a battle. Just open up your eyes and you'll see it. Second thing each generation needs to learn is to flee temptation. Bible says the enemy to the uh, says the enemy nations were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands or not. If the enemy cannot blatantly get us to deny God, he will seek to draw us away from God by tempting us with sin. Basic temptations are always the same. Girl, three G's, three girls, girls, gold glory, guys, gold glory. Uh, the three P's: pride, possessions, pleasure. He will tempt us with good things. He'll say, you know, um, he'll keep us busy, 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 busy. Uh, he'll, uh, he'll say, oh, well, your family needs this and, 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 and the family needs this and the family needs that. And, 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 and suddenly we, we're, we're busy doing all these things, distracted, tempted away from what it is that God has actually called us to. He will distract us from serving God. Again, if we, if we can't see this as a scheme of the enemy, we will become his victim. One of the judges that God raised was Samson. We all know Samson. He was anointed by God, called by God. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Powerful story of Holy Spirit coming upon him and, and doing some extraordinary things for God. Just, just a great story. He was called to defeat the Philistines. So that was one of those times where, where Israel was being oppressed by the Philistines. God sees the oppression. He raises up Samson, a mighty man of God, to defeat the Philistines. The enemy could see that this guy was unstoppable. So the enemy found his weakness and tempted him with Philistine women. He would often go down to the Philistine territory, spend some time down there. Question, what was he doing down there? 
What was he doing in Philistine territory? He was called to defeat the Philistines. Instead, he was down there having a few drinks with them. Hmm. And more. Uh, he no doubt thought, well, you know, I'm not going to be affected and, and you know, I'm in control. I know my limits. I know, I know what I can do. And the reality is probably for the first hundred times, nothing happened. Because the enemy said, it's 101 that I'm going to get him. And for a hundred times, he would have gone down there and, and just spent some time, had a great time, got a heck. Well, he didn't have a haircut back then. But, you know, he would have got, a, got to know the hairdresser and just, you know, styled the hair uh, and, and so on and so on. One day, falls in love with his hairdresser, doesn't he? Her name's Delilah. He was a Philistine. And you know the story. Wants to, she wants to know the secret of his strength. And, you know, the Bible tells us, if you don't know the story, that, you know, he was, uh, he was a Nazarite. It was a Nazarite vow. He wasn't allowed to touch dead bodies. I think one of them was. He wasn't allowed to drink alcohol. And he wasn't to cut his hair. Um, and so, you know, she, she, she says to him, yeah, what's the secret of your strength? He doesn't tell. He, he, he doesn't tell her. And she nags him. The Bible tells us she nags him and asks him again and again and again. And he must have been a little bit thick because every time, you know, he tricked her, he would say, oh, if you, if you tie me up with, uh, with vines, you know, then, then my strength will be gone. So they tie, they, they, they tie, she organises to tie him up with vines and, and he, you know, he blows it away and the Philistines come in. And oh, doesn't he see what's coming? You know, I mean, no, no, he doesn't see it. Bible says she nags him to death until one day he tells her the secret of his strength. He says, if they cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. So while he was asleep, she cut off his hair and he lost the anointing on his life. And you've heard me say this before, but one of the great, one of the sad verses in the Bible, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had, he had no clue that the Lord had left him. That's the deception of sin. He thought he was, he thought he was closer to God, but actually he drifted away from the presence of God a long time ago. And he didn't know. Deception is where you think you're still close to God, but you're far from God. Notice the consequences of sin. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, pretty little bunch, aren't they? And took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. L listen carefully. The enemy wants to do a number of things. He wants to blind us so we cannot see. When, when we start to... When we start to, to, to dabble with sin, we become blind. The, the, the Bible says that when we rebel against our parents, it's what the scripture says, the mother, I think it says, it says the ravens will come and pluck out your eyes. It's an interesting scripture. It's not a literal, obviously, but the raven speaks about the enemy plucking, taking away our ability to see. When, when we rebel against the authorities that God has placed over us, whether that be our parents, whether that be the church in some way, then the enemy comes in and takes out our ability to see our way ahead. And, 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 we, and, we, and we are more likely to fall into deception. That's why being part of what protects us from church, one of the things that protects us from deception is by being part of the church of Jesus Christ. There's a protection over our lives by being part of, grounded in, uh, 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 planted in the house of God. The enemy wants to blind us. He wants to bind you so that you are ineffective. He wants to throw you in a prison. 
And he wants to make you go round and round in circles. That's the consequences of sin. That when we give ourselves to sin, this is what's going to happen. We are going to become blinded, bound in a prison, going round and round in circles. How do we deal with temptation? Talked about it last week. We flee temptation. Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. We're going to be a generation that builds on previous generations. We need to learn to do two things. One, we need to resist the devil. We need to resist the enemy. We need, to be, be, we, need to, we need to understand the principles of spiritual warfare. The weapons that we have at our disposition to come against the work of the enemy. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The Word of God says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we don't do that with our own strength. We do that with the strength given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we need to flee temptation. We need to flee temptation. Deal with temptation. Pastor Joe, it's not as easy as, 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 as it looks. You know, it's easy to say that, but it's not as easy as it looks. And this is a reality. Again, we need, we need the body of Christ. We need, we need the church of Jesus Christ. That's where, the, that's where the church of Jesus Christ comes along. Because the reality is sometimes, sometimes what's going to help us overcome is going to be an Aaron and her on either side, helping us lift our hands. And we need the grace of God to help us. The grace of God. And grace comes to those who seek after grace. As we, as we cry out to God, and Jesus gives us the strength to overcome in Jesus' name. Book of Judges is not an exciting book to read. It's quite sad. Book of Judges is not an exciting book to read. It's quite sad. This is how it finishes. Talk about a depressing book. This is how it finishes. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Great. It's a great future. And we can see the book of Judges as a sad book or we can learn from the experiences of Israel. We, we can learn to see the pattern of the sin cycle and we can say, come on church, by the grace of God, instead of drifting away, we're going to drift towards God in Jesus' name. By the grace of God, we're going to build on the legacy that is left by previous generations. But by, by the grace of God, we're going we're gonna to build and we're going to go forward. We're going to go up and we're not going to go down in Jesus' name. How does that happen? It begins by individually taking responsibility for our faith. The reason why Israel drifted away from God is because individuals drifted away from God. It wasn't the nation. Shall we all drift together? Yeah, let's all drift together. The reason why Israel drifted away from God is because individuals drifted away from God. How do we make sure that we don't drift away as a body of Christ? Well, individually, we need to take responsibility for our faith. Individually, we need to purpose in our hearts to serve God, live righteously, to not compromise on our faith, flee temptation. Resist the devil. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what my peers are doing. You know, sometimes, sad to say, but sometimes, you know, the enemy can even use Christian peers to put us down. Come on, church. Hmm. 
where, you know, you make a decision to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to serve God. I don't care. I don't care what people around me. Sometimes it's not even people in the world because they're already, you know, they've already written us off. Sometimes it's people in the church who, you know, when you start to lift, they feel uncomfortable because you're lifting the bar a little bit higher. So the strategy is, well, let me bring him down or her down. And we need to say, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to lift the bar. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to lift the bar. I don't care. I'm going to serve God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what you and your house do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Come on. We're going to be like Isaiah who said, Here am I, Lord, send me. No, I'm not going to waste my life. No, I'm not going to live a life as close as I can to that line. So I just scrape into heaven. No, I'm not going to live that kind of life. I'm going to pray like Isaiah. Lord, here am I, send me. You've created me for purpose. You've created me for such a time. Use me for your glory, Lord God. We're going to be like an Esther who says, who knows, maybe God has brought me here for such a time as this. We're going to live our lives with a sense of calling. I know that God has me here for a reason and a purpose. I'm going to seek after the purposes of God. I'm not going to waste my life. And you know, that might mean we have to change some friends. You can't soar like an eagle if you're surrounded by... There it is right there, turkeys. I don't want to hear any gobble gobble here. I'm going to stand by the grace. Come on, church. You're going to stand in the name of Jesus. We're going to stand. We're going to be everything that God has called us to be. And by the grace of God, we're not going to repeat history, but we're going to make history by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Church here was established in the late 1950s. Began in the homes of a couple of uh, men and women who opened up their homes for, for gatherings, for prayer meetings, for Bible studies. In fact, if you go along the corridor there, you'll see the first photo. That was, that was one of the homes right there. And from there, the church began to grow and it moved from their homes into a rented location, which is still there. It's in Compton Street, just near the markets. Then from there, they built the first building in Queen Street. It's been knocked down and units are there right now. But, but this group of people that, you know, recent migrants who didn't have very much, most of them came out here with a suitcase, were building their own homes and trying to work through all of that. But together they bandied together and borrowed some money and, and began to build that first church, bought, bought, a, bought a first property right there in Queen Street. 26 families had to, be, had, to, had to become guarantors for the loan that they took out for the church. 26 families did that. Then they moved here in this building in 1993. It's my generation. And what began with a handful of people is grown to pre-COVID, pre-COVID, although it looks pretty good this morning, uh, up to 700 people that would, would meet every single weekend. That's not, you know, extra numbers, up to 1,000 people on our, on our list, but 700 people who would actually meet in this building every single weekend. Come on, that's pretty powerful. Come on, give the Lord some praise. Come on. It's amazing. Amazing. Just amazing, 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 amazing. Just amazing. These guys who had barely grade one, Shall we catch? Yeah, let's catch up. 
And they did. And here we are today. Over the lifetime of the church, the church has experienced some some challenges and hardships and some incredible blessings. Revival times where God has just swept through, done some amazing things. And by the grace of God, we are still here by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Life Church is a is a testimony of the words of Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Life Church is a testimony to the words of David who said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the, the guards stand watch in vain. Life Church is a testimony that God is still building and still protecting His church. Can I hear an Amen? It's by His grace. It's for His glory. And I thank God that this church is a testimony of the fact that we don't have to repeat history. That we can do a Bible study like we've done this morning and and look at the experience of Israel and say, by the grace of God, we're not going to repeat that. We don't have to be a victim of the sin cycle. We can learn from history and build on the legacy that previous generations have left behind. By the grace of God. I say by the grace of God because apart from the grace of God, it's never going to happen. We, we can sit in our boardrooms and come up with strategies and schemes and blah, 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 blah. All of that's good. we got this program, next program, the other program. We could do all of that. But if, it's not by, if, it, if we don't have the grace of God or the favour of God, uh, then it's, it's a waste of time. That's why we need the presence of God and the glory of God amongst us. And I pray that we will go from strength to strength and from glory to glory by His grace and for His glory, that we will champion the next generations, that, 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 uh, that, that we will say, go and do even greater things than what we have done and see greater things and greater revivals and greater miracles than we've experienced. One of the great things about this church, it's not perfect, we are not perfect. We're pretty close, but we're not perfect at all. Nowhere near it. One of the great things about this church is we have a cohort of children that are fifth generation Christians. In other words, yep. In other words, these children, uh, not just their grandparents, not just their great grandparents, but their great, great grandparents uh, actually attended this church. Can you believe that? So I want to introduce you to this cohort of children. Here they come. Come on, why don't you give them a big hand? Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Come on, give them a big shout of praise. Come on, give the Lord a big shout of praise. Come on, give the Lord a mighty shout of praise. Come on, church. It's the grace of God. Come on, it's the grace of God. This is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Come on. This is a great, look, I'm sure that there are other people here that, you know, maybe a fifth generation Christians or fourth or third or whatever. And, and, you know, your, your, your great, great grandparents were Christians and thank God for that. But, but these, these, this, this group of children, their great grandparents actually sat in the seats here at church. And that baton was passed on from one generation to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And here we are today. Come on, church. 
Come on, church, give Him praise. Worship team, come. Worship team, come. Come on, give the Lord Jesus a clap. Come on, you could do better than that. Come on. Give God some praise. Give God some glory. It's the grace of God. It's by His grace and for His glory. Come on, church. Come on, church. And we're, we're, we're going to believe that, it's, that that baton is going to pass on, be passed on from one generation to the next one, to the next one. And, and we're going to believe for the, well, I don't want to believe for a thousand generations. I hope Jesus comes back. But if the Lord should tarry, we're going to believe for a thousand generations in the name of Jesus by His grace. So we're going to sing in just a moment. But before doing, we're going to ask Lana to come forward. We're going to pray for this, this cohort of, of children. We're going to pray for them. Not just them, but also all the children in our church and the young people that we have. And just, just believe that God is going to do some amazing things with the next generations of our church. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Why don't you put your hands towards these lovely children. Father, this morning we stand privileged that we can stand in your presence because some people actually made that sacrifice, made a choice to serve you, sometimes even despite their families that turned against them. So we just thank you for their sacrifices, that they passed on that baton of their deep desire to serve the Lord. And today we can stand here because of their desire to serve you, Father. We are just so grateful. Father, we also thank you for these beautiful children that stand here this morning to represent a different generation that's going to lead the way. And Father, just pray this morning that you're going to birth a sense of purpose in their life to serve you, Father. Would you protect their hearts? Would you protect their minds? Father, that they would be leaders in their generation, that they're going to grab a hold of what you have for them, that they will see with their eyes, Father, with their spiritual eyes, what you have for them. And they're going to go forth, Father, and they're going to go ahead and grab a hold what you have for them and lead their generation to see the wonderful things that God still has to show us in this world. So we thank you for them this morning. We pray that you would bless them in a special way this morning and their generation and their colleagues with them, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give them a hand. Come on, give them a hand as they go. Thank you so much. Come on, give them another hand. It's powerful. Come on, powerful. Come on, I want, I want to show this to you because I want us to believe that our fifth, sixth, seventh generations, maybe you're the first. Come on, we're going to believe that fifth generation kids in your own family are going to be up here one day. Let's sing together. Let's worship. Come on.